Good afternoon, everybody. It's great to be able to spend some time with you uh, and looking at this idea of the Bible. And it's really unusual for us at Christchurch to be week and week and week uh, in the same passage. We've looked at Mark chapter 1, 1 to 11 over these past few weeks. But hopefully, uh, as we work through this journey of these various characteristics of the Christian faith, um, foundational ideas and things that we, we need to come to terms with, hopefully we'll see how significant this particular uh, passage is and how important and our understanding of the whole of the message of the Bible kind of finds its central point in this moment, this moment where Jesus is revealed for his ministry as the Son of God. It's where it begins. The Bible's an amazing book. If you don't know much about the Bible, if it's new to you, uh, we often think about the Bible as a book. In actual fact, it's 66 different books, uh, and those books all to come together in, in this one collection. And it's in two sections. There's the Old Testament, which is uh, 39 books, which all speak about the time before Jesus. And then there's 27 books, which is the New Testament, uh, and that speaks about the time from Jesus uh, and afterwards. It's written by around about 40 different authors over a time period of 1,500 years in three languages and on three continents. It's an incredible book from that point of view. There's nothing else like it in terms of the breadth, number of contributors, and consistency in which it finds its place in our history. It's been translated into around about 680 languages as a complete book. And incredibly, I found out that the New Testament has been translated into over 2,000 different languages. Over 100 million copies of the Bible are sold each year. I guess that might be reducing because so many of us now carry our Bible on a smartphone, uh, which is a remarkable thing. It seems to me as though maybe in the, in the dim and distant past when, when people moved from the idea of the Bible on scrolls to the idea of the Bible or the God's Word written on scrolls to God's Word written on books, people might have been uncomfortable with that. And now we have it electronically. And yet it remains consistently this remarkable set of words. It's also apart from being the highest, the most sold book in history. Fascinatingly, it's also the most stolen. It's been the source of conflict. It's been the source of death. It's been the source of life. And it's been the source of hope. But what is it? Well, this particular text that we've been looking for really shines a light for us on what the Bible is all about. If we read those first three verses again, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you and you will he will prepare, and sorry, let me read that again. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. That little verse there 
at the point where Jesus is being baptized, captures the very heart of the Bible. We, we're looking back at some writing in Isaiah 700 or so years earlier than Jesus, which is speaking beforehand about this very event. It's actually speaking about John. It's about John who was going to go before Jesus, and we, we're going to be looking at this character John in, in a few weeks' time for a number of weeks. But John is in the wilderness, and we know that Jesus has now gone into the wilderness, and he's being baptized by this one who's preparing the way for Jesus. That, for me, captures the whole of the idea of the Bible. Everything that goes before is preparing us, building us, speaking about pointing to Jesus. And everything that is contained after the event of Jesus, his three years of ministry, is looking back to Jesus and looking forward to Jesus. It speaks so crystally clear about the nature of what God is doing and what this collection of books is actually all about. So I would describe the Bible in, in two ways. The first way I would describe the Bible is, in simple terms, it's the story of God. But more particularly, I want to just emphasize the way I use that word story. Very often we think about stories as being something that is a fable or something which is um, perhaps just there to entertain us. But when we think about the idea of the word history, we see that it is something which we look, look at and we say, well, they're the things that happened, whatever our understanding of how we interpret the things that have happened. In that way, the Bible is just that. It is the history of God, the story of God in the world engaging with humanity. It's the story of God in a Savior, Jesus. We can see that again in this little text. Mark opens up his account of Jesus by describing Jesus in this way. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. But he doesn't end it there. He says, Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one. He's saying that everything that you have been preparing for as God's people, this promised one, this expected one, this Messiah is Jesus. But then he adds another characteristic to that, that promised one, that promised Messiah. He's saying that this Jesus, the promised one in the Old Testament, is actually the Son of God. It's a dramatic, incredible claim, and it's at the very heart of the message of the Bible. That Jesus is the promised one. Everything builds towards Jesus. We see that Jesus' presence, his, in technical terms, it's called his incarnation, his becoming human flesh, is the very center, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven, and his coming return is the message of the Bible. And we see that in what Mark says about Jesus in this event. And he deliberately captures 
the promise of Isaiah to attach that to his first claim. I'm saying to you that Jesus is the promised one, the Messiah. And I'll remind you where Jesus is the promised one, the Messiah. In the passage in Isaiah where he says there is going to be somebody in the desert, in the wilderness, who is preparing the way. He is not the Messiah. He is the one who's preparing the way. And this remarkable event of Jesus coming to John fulfills that criterion. So what do we see in that? What is it that's going on? And what, what does that say about the Bible? Well, the first thing that we've said is it's the story of God in the story of a Savior. But it's the secondly, it's the story of God in the way that God reveals himself. How God shows himself. Jesus is the way that God shows himself to the world, ultimately. He made that really clear. There was a moment where his disciples were struggling with coming to terms with the idea of God uh, and, and desperately wanting to know this God uh, who they've known historically, but they haven't seen. And, and Philip says, show us the Father. And in John chapter 14 and verse 9, Jesus says this, don't you know me, Philip? Even though I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Jesus say, makes this remarkable claim, I am not just speaking about God, I am revealing God to you because I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that, again, is at the very heart of the idea of the Bible. God is actually not just talking about Jesus, but he is revealing himself in the Bible over that history of the Old Testament. He's saying, this is what I am like. I'm a God of justice. I'm a God of righteousness. I'm a God who demands lawfulness. I'm a God who describes himself in this way. And therefore, I invite you, my people, to be like me, which they fail to do. And in failing to do that, God says, in that failure, you need more than to work hard. You need a savior. You need a messiah. And then he reveals himself again in Jesus. And he says, I am now here to be that Messiah, fully revealing God to us. So what does that say to us? It says this, that the Bible and Jesus are intrinsically linked. You can't have one without the other. They are totally integrated in that way. In fact, we would say that if Jesus is the present revelation of God in that 33 years of his presence on this earth until he returns again. The Bible is the ongoing revelation of God in those 1500 years in which it was written, and it continues today to be the revelation of God to us. It's the way in which we engage today. None of us have the privilege of being able to sit and listen to Jesus. And yet, 
so many have found that the power of the Bible gives us the opportunity to do just that, to sit at the feet of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and through that incredible, unique revelation of God in the Bible as he speaks to us. So the first thing that we've looked at there is it is the story of God. The second remarkable thing which I find in the Bible is that it is written through a human perspective. Let me just unpack that a little bit. When we think about Jesus, what do you think about? I guess for many of us, the idea of Jesus is very often shaped by our cultural understanding, by maybe what we've been, what we've grown up with. Maybe if you grew up in, in, in church from being very little, you might remember the coloring books or the picture storybooks of Jesus, uh, and you might imagine him as being uh, perhaps really kind of striking blonde hair and white and a beautiful white cloak and a blue uh, gown underneath, and that is so far away from the reality of Jesus. Jesus was born in Palestine. He was Middle Eastern. He would not have looked smart and well-kept. He was a peasant teacher. He was so different from our cultural ideas. But he also came within a cultural location. He came within a geography which was shaped by a particular time, which was shaped by a particular way of thinking, which was shaped by a particular political situation, which was shaped by a set of traditions, which was shaped by a particular language. Jesus was constrained by all of that. He didn't speak English or German or French. He spoke Aramaic. He spoke in the tradition and language of the day. He used pictures from the day. And yet, remarkably, the words of Jesus that we find recorded in the four Gospels go beyond the limitations of that day. They go beyond. They speak in a greater way than just at that particular point in time. See, Jesus is in one sense constrained, and yet at the same time, through the Bible, we find that Jesus is also timeless. And that is exactly the same thing with the Bible. In the same way, it is written from a particular perspective, a little, a particular cultural idea or a certain political purpose. It's located in time and history and context. We might say, for example, that one of the most beautiful books in the Bible for me is the book of Ruth. It's an incredible book. And yet, many commentators would recognize that one of the purposes in which the book of, for which the book of Ruth was written was to justify the kingship of David. It's a, 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 a political argument. David comes from a heritage which has 
people outside of the Israelite nation within it. People who would be considered outside of it. And much of the book of Ruth is arguing about the, the way in which God dealt in a remarkable way for God, for Jesus, uh, sorry, for David to be part of that journey. In one sense, it's writing for the moment in a particular time, arguing for David's kingship, and yet at the same time, in a remarkable way, in a greater way, it's speaking about the beautiful, redeeming power and love of Jesus, and therefore the redeeming power and love of God for his people. You see the way it is culturally located, and yet at the same time, part of a cohesive, bigger message. At the same time, the, the Bible has what I would describe as diversity. If we look at something like uh, Samuel to Samuel, we see David's sin in taking uh, Bathsheba, who was not his wife, and causing Bathsheba's wife to be killed so that he could take her as his wife. It is a horrific story, and Samuel is clear, the book of Samuel is clear about that. And then we read in the Chronicles, we read the Chronicles of the Kings, and we don't read anything about that terrible ethical and moral crisis in the life of David. We just see it as an event. Is the Bible inconsistent in that? I think what the Bible is doing is recognizing that Chronicles is written for a different purpose, and Samuel is written for something else, and yet coming together they portray this journey of, in which God is working in the world. What about the idea of sacrifice? Sacrifice is right at the very heart of the Bible. In fact, Jesus becomes the Lamb of God sacrificed so that those who trust in Him might find life and hope. And yet, sacrifice as an idea, as a concept, was not unique to Israel. In fact, there were nations before Israel was formed which had sacrifice as part of its principles of, of cultic worship, What's God doing? In the same way in which Jesus enters into time and space, we see that God enters into time and space. He journeys with humanity. He goes into the context and the histories of the way the world was and brings that nudging, reshaping, reimagining the idea of sacrifice which intrinsically humanity understood that there was some need for appeasement and God takes it and says I have written that into your hearts I've prepared you for that but I've prepared you so that you will see that the ultimate sacrifice you can never deliver but I will it's written through a human lens it is what I would describe as the, the fingerprint of God in the reality of human experience. God walking alongside, redeeming humanity through time. And at the same time, we come to this great final idea 
within all of that, we also see and we also believe that the Bible is something greater. It is the incarnational Word of God inspired by God. And it has an intentional purpose in that inspiration. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17 says this. It talks about the Bible. Paul talks about the Bible in this way. And he says this. All Scripture is God-breathed. That means that what we read in the Bible is breathed out by God. Those events in Chronicles, that book of Ruth, those ideas of sacrifice are breathed out by God in the way that they are communicated to us. And they have a purpose because they are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Jesus comes to John and John baptizes Jesus as he aligns himself with sinful humanity. Where Jesus says, baptize me as a mark of my need for righteous redemption and restoration. The one who would not sin says, place me in that category. And he says, place me in that category because he knows that this is the story of God and this is the journey so that you and I today might embrace this book, the Bible, and see that God is speaking in a way which is not simply informative. It is life-changing. It is the means by which we see Jesus it is the means by which we embrace Jesus, and it is also the means by which we are changed. The way in which we grow, the way in which we are corrected, the way in which we are made more righteous. Because the Bible reveals God to us today. I mentioned right at the beginning that the book is a source of conflict and death, but for many it's a source of hope and life. Let's take this helicopter journey over the whole of the story of the Bible and let me describe it like this. It's a book of trees. It starts at the beginning with the way that God describes the founding of humanity by coming to terms with the hope of life described in the tree of life. Alongside that tree or near to that tree, there is another tree. It's a tree of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It seems to me that what God is doing is he's, he's helping us to see that there is the hope of life, but there is also this greater thing, which is an awareness of righteousness and unrighteousness, good and evil. He says to, to those original portrayed humanity, he says this, eat from life and don't eat from the knowledge of good and evil. It seems as though the picture is you're not ready for it. And they do, of course, eat from that tree. And all hope, it seems, 
is crushed at that moment because the knowledge of good and evil brings death. Life is no longer a hope. But right at the end of the Bible, the bookends of the Bible, in fact, chapter 22 of the book of Revelation, we see the tree of life again appearing in this beautiful descriptive idea of what eternal hope is, the tree of life is reseen. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. See that? How can on each side of the river stood the tree of life? It seems to me as though the tree of life is not a single thing. It almost seems as if it's this avenue of hope with a river running through it bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. It's a beautiful picture, and that's what it is. It's a picture. In a world where most medicine came from plants, the leaves of the tree of life are the healing of the nations. So at the beginning, we have the hope of life, which is marked by the tree of death. And at the end, we have the hope of life again in the tree of life. But that's not the only trees that are significant in the Bible. The other tree that we are pointed to again and again on the journey is the tree at the very center of the message. It's the tree on which Jesus is crucified. And everything in the Bible before that moment prepares for it. And everything in the Bible after that moment points to it and points us to the hope that it brings. Because right at, that at the center of the Bible, in the tree on which Jesus is crucified, we find on that tree there is the tree of life and the tree of death coming together, a moment in which that crisis is reconciled and there is the hope of life again. And it is only possible because Jesus aligns himself with sinners and is baptized by John, fulfilling all of the promises of the Bible and preparing us for future promises. It took his crucifixion but it takes his resurrection, it takes his ascension, and it takes his return. And that is the message of salvation in the Bible. It is our hope. It is the way in which we see Jesus. We can come to Jesus and we can see him as an interesting first century Palestinian peasant teacher but nothing special. It takes faith for us to see Jesus in the light of him as the Son of God. I want you to see that it also takes faith for us to see the Bible as the Word of God. But when we do, the hope that it instills within us is beyond human description. Well, thank you so much for those of you who've been able to stay with us. 
Um, we're going to be chatting for about the next 10 minutes or so, um, and I hope that's something that, that's helpful to you. Paul, thanks for your uh, talk today. Good to that we, we're in the Bible every week in Christchurch, aren't we? But we don't often talk about the Bible. The Bible. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Is I, that weird? I was just thinking it's really unusual for us to just stay in one passage yeah. for so long. Yeah, it's just like the fourth or fifth week that we've been yeah, looking at that. At least, yeah. And it's only 11 verses, isn't it, yeah. in Mark's Gospel? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think sometimes that's, that gives us a little bit of an insight on what the Bible can do that from such a small section, it just points in so many directions. It teaches us so much. I don't know, have you found that that's, you come back to certain passages and you see something new when you come back to it, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time? Definitely, especially in the Gospels. They're just so yeah. rich, aren't they? Yeah. That that story of Jesus and, and what he's doing. And even though in my personal experience, I've grown up with some of those stories since childhood still hearing you now talk about you know 11 verses i'm like yeah that's amazing yeah, oh, yeah. that's amazing yeah. do you know that yeah, I, yeah. I never i never knew yeah why did i not have i seen that before or i'm reminded of something yeah. uh, or something that you've been reminded of that actually adds another piece yes it, it gives greater depth yeah that's right uh, yeah it's amazing isn't it? it it is really cool what would you say, um, we're talking about the Gospels there, what, what would you say to somebody who kind of hears what you, part of what you were saying today was that, that the Bible is really all about Jesus, yeah. essentially, if yeah, you, yeah. In, one, in one sentence. Yeah, yeah. So what would you say to somebody who said, well, can I not just get away with reading the Gospels then? Why do mm -hmm. I need all the other stuff? Mm. Because, you know, we've talked about their depth and things like that. Yeah, yeah. What's, what's the richness of, of the whole of the Bible yeah. Can't we just read the Jesus stuff? Sometimes that seems easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get that. I think I think on one level, the beauty of the beauty of faith in Jesus is that we can come to it with incredible simplicity. And we don't need to be some biblical scholar. That's true. And faith the size of a grain of mustard is sufficient for for hope and life. Thank goodness. Which is great news. <laughs> Thank goodness. But at the same time, the joy for me of the message of God's salvation is how rich and deep it is. And I think that that, I think what, what Mark is saying in this passage is that one of the vindications for Jesus, one of the reasons why you should have faith in Jesus is not just because he appeared on the scene and claimed to be the son of God, but because he actually fulfills all that went before. Mm -hmm. So it, it's almost as though we can, we can enter at a level of um, simplicity, but then we realize that the deeper and deeper we go, the richer and richer it becomes, mm -hmm. the more joy-filled it becomes. And actually, as Paul says to Timothy, the whole of that scripture is then profitable for us. Mm. It's not just the end bit. Yes, I, so I I love that as verse has been a great verse for me. I, I've loved that. It's given me lots of encouragement that all yeah. scripture is God breathed. Yeah. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, yeah. correcting, yeah. training in righteousness. Yeah. And you're like, yes, I'm going to read my Bible Monday morning. Yeah. <laughs> and then you open your Bible and you read some obscure story, which maybe the morals in the story aren't quite what you were expecting yeah. in scripture. Or yeah. maybe you're like, 
really, this is antiquated. The world isn't like that now. I want the Bible to be relevant to me. It yeah. says it will be, you yeah. know, that, that yeah. how do you, yeah. how do you, uh, and then you, went, you end in it, yeah, you end up in a reading Leviticus where it's this really complicated <laughs> law stuff. Yeah. But, but I think one of the, one of the things I would always encourage people to work through is don't, don't come to the detail and try to build up to, to the idea of Jesus. Start with the big storyline okay. and hold on to that storyline and almost like abseil down into that detail. Go the other way. Because what, what we then see is, what, what is Leviticus actually saying? I think Le when we read it in the context of Jesus, we see Leviticus is saying this. It is incredibly difficult to resolve the problem of sin. All of those complex laws are what God demanded. He's kind of saying that sin is a real issue. It's a real problem. But when we read it in the context of Jesus, we see that it, it's in that that Jesus finds the, the fulfillment of all of that complexity. You know, we've got to do this. We've got to do that. We've got to do the other. We've got to observe these uh, various ways. God is saying it's complex, but there's always a way for it to be resolved. And then he says, out of all that complexity, I bring the simplicity of Jesus who fulfills all of that. Mm -hmm. so, that so, so it's constantly coming back to the big storyline. Yeah. What's God doing with the world at that moment in time that we can learn from today? So literally, when you, wear, when you read the Bible, you need to wear glasses, but the glasses are Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah, and what, what, yes, I think, I think even that, that's a really helpful way to to see it and i think the glasses are jesus as savior okay specific specifically how does salvation work out through this big story mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that you know as i mentioned earlier david who becomes a, a, an adulterer and a murderer um becomes as well a redeemed person of god that that's, that's amazing that's amazing i think that's one of the lessons i've learned kind of as i've got older i went through a time where as a person of faith i was fearful of some passages of the bible because i was like yeah. i kind of just feel really uncomfortable about them and almost yeah. embarrassed by yeah. the fact that they belonged to my faith yes. and actually looking back on scripture and reading it through jesus lenses actually meant I didn't need to be embarrassed or fearful about those things that actually there was truths and depths about Jesus there that do you yeah. know have you that's really helpful I think um I think when you think about that and push into that a bit there are bits in the old testament where you you look at it and you think there's just some terrible stuff going on here and and I think if we take the the appeal of Paul to recognize that all scripture is there to teach us. Mm -hmm. We've got a real problem if we try to take that bit of scripture and apply a moral lesson from that scripture alone. Because that, what's going on there is terrible. Mm -hmm. But when we realize that Jesus, the Redeemer, is there to resolve not the not the good stuff 
in the in that backstory. Mm-hmm. He's actually saying that is bad, but I'm the one who brings hope. Mm-hmm. You don't bring hope out of that crisis. You bring hope out of me. And and I am the one who's been promised in all of that mess. So throughout that mess, God is still saying, and I'll still send a savior. Mm-hmm. I'll still send a savior. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, I think um, yeah, yeah, there's genocide there's horrific treatment of women there's horrific treatment of slaves and yet all the time god is reshaping the world and causing us to think about it in a more redeemed way because we've got to recognize that in that horrific ancient world history it's not as though it was great everywhere outside of israel it was yeah. a pretty horrific place, full stop. And yet God nudges us, reshapes us to a, even understanding righteousness in mm. a different way. And that idea of righteousness, <clears throat> what do you think about, so we're trying to see Jesus and not necessarily a moral lesson in scripture, mm-hmm. but yet we long for that righteousness and we think that the Bible instructs in righteousness what is the morality in one sense that the Bible's pushing us towards? Yeah, yeah. That, that's, yeah. I think it's, it's the righteousness of God. It, it's the fact that God is saying to us, no matter what you do in seeking to redeem yourselves, you will never succeed. Because even, even our good acts are kind of clothed in unrighteousness Mm -hmm. i I think if we're brutally honest even the best things that we do are the foundations for a sense of pride so so you look at that and you say how do i don't want to admit that but (laughs) it's where we are as humans and 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 then jesus breaks in as the redeemer and says the way in which i redeem you is not through some courageous show of strength, but actually through the most profound statement of servanthood, humility, and self-sacrifice. They are just some of the most beautiful traits, but yet not the ones that we seek after. Can it, hardly ever, we rarely. Totally. <laughs> we love them when we see them. <laughs> and we find it really hard to do that. We love them when we see them in others. In others. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. Keep that going. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't sustain that. Mm. And yet Jesus sustains it for us. Mm. Because that is, that is God revealed. Okay. So it's Monday morning. We are convicted that... Uh, the privilege of having the Bible in on our phones or in a book is that um, we get to have God revealed. And so we open our Bibles and, you know, you've talked today about that it's a story of trees. Like, I, I love that you know that, <laughs> but that's not necessarily what everyone else sees when they open up the Bible. Mm. How Can you give us some tips of... Is there other stuff that we should be reading that helps us see big picture stuff? How do we, is it just by keeping reading it with consistency and faithfulness? How do we unlock some of the mysteries of the Bible? If, if that's a, 
if I'm allowed to ask that. Yeah, I think in the middle of speaking in a church, which is completely empty apart from people doing tech stuff for us, the church and the meeting of God's people and committing ourselves to that context of encouragement and support and digging into those truths together, mm-hmm. we, we underestimate way too much. We become consumers of church. We say, what is church going to do for me? As opposed to seeing that that is the place where we can, where we can share together in the communal understanding of God's word. Uh, and, and the ch- purpose of the church is to gather to protect us from individually going off on a, on a strange idea and at the same time for us to be encouraged to dig deeper mm-hmm. so that, yeah, that I, the so idea... So we're sharpening of, each yeah, other. Yeah, we're sharpening each other. We're encouraging each other. But we're holding each other to account of what God actually says at the Absolutely. same time. Absolutely. And yeah. we're, we're helping each other. You know, that, that's, what, that's what the church is there for. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's so important that we really in the middle of this really difficult time that we hold on to that mm-hmm. that we it, it's why we do these broadcasts it's why we save them it's why we make them live on a sunday afternoon at a particular time so that we can at least have a moment of a sense of togetherness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a moment of an idea that we're learning together mm-hmm. that we're serving together that we're we're sharing and growing and encouraging each other mm. that actually we're encouraged now when we see um other other people commenting <clears throat> on our streams yeah um why That's because true. that community we are saved to be part of something mm-hmm. not as individuals and i think that lasts then beyond sundays then doesn't totally. it so you have that communal experience where you learn from God's word on yes. Sunday. And then, you know, when you hear about trees on a Sunday, you open your Bible on the Monday and you think, yeah, yeah do you know that's totally. uh, that's true? We've got God's, we talked last week about God's Holy Spirit living inside us. Yeah. That testifies, doesn't it? Yeah. Yep, that is true. And, I, totally. you know, like, and God's word comes alive, I think. Absolutely. Again, then. I think it was Richard Baxter, who's a Puritan preacher. I think it was Baxter who had the ambition to create in whatever he shared on a Sunday, bearing in mind that there was far more illiteracy in his day. Oh, yeah, I can't even, uh, how fortunate are we? Yeah, most of us can actually read the Bible on a day-to-day basis. The majority of his congregations would have been illiterate. But that didn't, that didn't downplay the power of the word of God what he desired was that he would create what he described as time bombs to go off in the minds of his people through the week so that something some situation some event would remind them of trees (laughs) (laughs) or whatever it might be and that's what Jesus does he's not smart Baxter in thinking that that's what Jesus does he uses everyday events people casting seed on the ground mm-hmm. bread so, that's bread. A, like, a brilliant one isn't Absolutely. it i love the bread one he, he uses all of those ideas so that people will have this go off in the mind mm-hmm. halfway through the week i'm re-encouraged i'm re-committed to this idea of hope yeah 
let me read that again. Let me see what that yeah. said. Like, yeah, is that yeah, anywhere yeah. else in the Bible? Yeah, that kind exactly. of thing. It just exactly. it sets off that chain reaction, doesn't totally, it? It's totally. brilliant. Yeah. Good. We are not going to keep people uh, any longer, although I'm sure we could talk about the Bible for ages. We're just so glad that you've been able to join us. Mm. We hope that you have time bombs going off <laughs> in your head all week and that every autumn tree that you see <laughs> reminds you about the trees, the story of the trees in the Bible. Um, God bless you this week. Perhaps you could just pray for us, yeah, Paul, as absolutely. we finish. Thank you. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is not distant but a God who is present. We've mm. shared in these past few weeks the, your nature as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We thank you that that triune God is present with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that the power of your living word would be enlivened in each of our hearts as we see great hope in the message of redemption, which is so clear in the Bible. We thank you for this time together. We pray for each other. We pray for everybody who is able to share in this moment, whether it's on catch-up or whether it's live. And mm. we pray that you would speak not just to our minds, but to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. God Thanks, bless. everybody.